your upbringing? I'd say it was fairly Catholic when we were very little. I feel like as we got into probably, so everybody got confirmed, everybody had their first communion, that kind of thing. But I think as family life gets busier and busier and busier as you get into junior high and then high school, I think my parents were probably reliably attending mass every Sunday. But unfortunately, you know, we were not pushed very hard to Mm -hmm. attend with them. And of course, I think all of us fell away, you know, once we got past confirmation. And so Mm -hmm. um, that's the, you know, those are the circumstances. Yeah. So after confirmation, you're a teenager and going through high school, probably having the same pressures and interests that uh, most guys would have. So I, I know you told me at some point things really kind of snowball downhill with a lot of, uh, you know, not, not a great lifestyle, but, uh, how, how were the teenage years? I don't know if you went to college, how, how were your teens and twenties? Uh, my teenage years were really the glue that held that together was, um, Marine JROTC. And if it hadn't been for that, I don't know where I'd be. Uh-huh. Uh, I like that structure and the authority. Those, uh, the senior Marine instructor was able to speak to me in a way that I wouldn't listen to my parents. And so thank, thank God for that. Uh, I attended the university of Mississippi and graduated with a BBA in management information systems. And that time was really typified by uh, academics, but a lot of partying, drinking, um, and that kind of thing and, and marijuana use and that kind of, you know, and so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that it was super unhealthy, but it certainly wasn't a, it wasn't a life of a Catholic by any stretch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how far down did it go? I mean, you talk about the the drugs, the drinking. I'm sure there was, you know, women or, you know, all the, all the, the, the typical things that kind of go together. Uh, when did it kind of really hit, hit rock bottom? Huh? I think the first really horrible thing that happened that I'm, you know, obviously 100% responsible for, but in my early 20s, I impregnated a girl and paid for her to have an abortion and that event the horror of that and the 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 moral fallout from it was so severe that i believe looking back that's what drove a lot of the drinking and the drug use and really self-loathing that was so typical of that stretch of my 20s mm. And would you have considered yourself pro-life at that time or ambivalent or who cares? Or, uh, I mean, how you use, it sounds like you really reg- almost regretted this from the, a, the a onset. Ca- a cowardly pro-life. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you, pro-life but, until, until there's real responsibility yeah. that may be involved in consequences and then not so much. So a great cowardice. I've, uh, interviewed a number of men who have, uh, gone through Project Joseph. I know Reg Platt very well, the director of Project Joseph. And there's uh, somewhat of a myth that, you know, women feel the pain of abortion and men don't. And men, it's just, you know, they move on with their life. But I don't think that's many people's story, but it certainly wasn't yours, was it? How, how, I mean, was this like waking up in the middle of the night or every time you see a child, you get, you know, bad memories or how, how did that manifest itself? The guilt and the pain. I had killed a human being yeah, and I felt like that's a point of no return for salvation. You are done. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that's a very lonely, the impact of that existentially cannot be underestimated. Yeah. 
So you you knew at the time you were killing a human being. This this wasn't just a, a blob of tissue. I mean, but at the time, it's it seems like a like a good decision because you know you got to move on with your life, right? Yeah, unwilling to take responsibility for the turn of events, and that was quote unquote the easy way out. Mm-hmm. So that meant further spiraling down, more drinking, more drugs, more women. I mean, oh, it accelerated dramatically oh, yeah. after that. Okay, but that was that was over twenty years ago, right? So, That's right. And all this other th- good stuff has just been the last couple of months. So, did you have twenty years of debauchery? Would you say? You know, I found endurance sports in my late 20s, and that focused a lot of my energy and kind of pulled me out of that very destructive part of my life. And understand, I was employed the whole time. My career was taking off, and by all accounts, I didn't look that different than other kind of Mm hard-drinking 20-something-year-olds that are trying to figure out that career trajectory and all that kind of thing. And so... Um, in my late 20s, I got involved in Ironman, and that proved to be kind of a lifeline, and, and at least in terms of physical health, you know, maintaining yeah. a, a healthy weight and, um, you know, not being at the bar every day after work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, to kind of make a long story short, joined a startup about 12 years ago. And the early years of that were kind of a hard drinking, mm-hmm. super long hour type of episode. And, you know, a lot of the same patterns, a lot of drinking and just uh, darkness, you know, just nothing but work. And then the same kind of record that plays afterward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you said your upbringing was, you know, Catholic, but not real strong Catholic throughout all these years and the abortion and the drinking, the partying, working hard. Was there ever a tug back to, to go to church? Did you ever think like... I miss I miss going to mass. I miss confession. Uh, did that ever enter your mind? I would say that there were times when I would attend other denominations services, and I was struck by how, uh, and I mean this in the most charitable way, but their liturgy doesn't it didn't move me in the same way that mm-hmm. the, the Catholic Roman Catholic liturgy moves me, and so to me that never seemed like any sort of viable option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of Catholic snobbery there uh, in, in terms of sort of the the ancient, uh, amazing, beautiful you know Latin roots. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean the thoughts enter my head, but the fundamental belief at that point was that I had done something that was completely unforgivable. And so there is no future for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a fiance now and I know there's, there's several things that kind of converge. It's a trip to confession. It's well, well, there's a horrible illness that God used to wake you up. Which one comes first? The the horrible illness is that? Um, yeah, tell us, tell us about it. God, God wakes you up. He hits you by with a two by four, right? That's right. Not subtle. Uh, so in early June of this year, I fell ill with a in an, an intestinal problem that involved part of my intestinal tract sort of twisting around itself and cutting the blood flow off which causes it to die and it'll take you with it. And so I ended up in the hospital and had a major abdominal surgery suddenly. And um, I was misdiagnosed by one hospital system and lost about four days. And in those four days that I got closer to God. And I mean that in the most serious sense. And so the experience of, of, you know, 
praying for a solution and praying for my life and knowing that my soul is in a horrible state and that I'm not ready to go was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And I I came out of that knowing that I had to go back to the church, that he had spared my life and granted my plea and that there was only one thing to do. So you were praying during those four days. Yes, absolutely. First time in a while you were praying? Well, of course, you know, a horrible Catholic, one that that prays only when they need something and they're so far over a barrel, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that's, you know, the, the, uh, the cosmic ATM approach to God, which is <laughs> you just show up with your hand yeah. out when yeah. you need something. Um, yeah. Yeah. But those four, the four days, uh, were, were life changing. I was awake for probably 22 hours a day in pain. And so in that fatigue, and in that the dark of that night, the literal dark of those nights, and I'm trying to be quiet so that she can sleep and go to work mm-hmm. the next day and not be totally fatigued. And I would pace around the house because that was kind of the most comfortable position to be in. And there's just a lot of time to think. Yeah, yeah. So eventually you had the surgery. That's right. You came out on the other side. And I think a lot of people would have just said, back to where I was, but the, this whole kind of grace of God, it, it, it's, it stuck, didn't it? It took about seven to 10 days. And I had the distinct sense that I was in a, a serious existential crisis. And really in my mind, there were only two ways this was going to go. Either I can try to drink my way through this and for the listeners that, that can't see me, I'm in pretty good physical shape. And I thought to myself, man, this is going to take quite, quite a toll on my health. I don't know that this is a viable option. And to me, the only other viable option was to try to go back to the church and get, get squared away. And yeah. so on a Tuesday, I show up at St. Barnard at the parish office at 9 a.m., uh, begging for an immediate confession as if <laughs> as if Father Andy and Father Luis don't have an entire day planned for yeah. them on a calendar, right? Yeah. You know, and, and then, very good with their time, though. I mean, you know. So. And you just picked that because it was the closest parish? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, yeah. get on Google Maps. Yeah, and, Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I wasn't so, going to wait one more minute. I mean, it, it got to that point where I was like, I have to go do this right now. Yeah. And they... they um we're all able to do it. Yes. I mean, amazingly enough. So father Luis comes out and brings me back there and we get down into it. I explain to him, Hey, I haven't been to confession in 30 years. And, uh, I've got this list of stuff that I want to go through. And so we get into it and, uh, he's very gentle in nature. And, um, we get to the point where he, yeah, I disclose that I'm living with my girlfriend in sin and he says, okay, time out here. Uh, you know, that's, I'm not going to be able to absolve your sins. I said, father, how do we rectify this? And he says, well, in so many words, do you want to marry this girl? And I said, yes, I just needed a catalyst for it. And so out of that failed confession attempt, I drive home, immediately pick the phone up, call my girlfriend on the phone and ask her, do you want to marry me? And she says, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Had y'all talked about marriage before? We had, Uh, but I had been noncommittal about a timeline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Life comes at you quick. At least you didn't text her. I felt like it warranted a phone. It rose to the, it rose to the seriousness of a phone call. (laughs) Without a doubt. So she said yes. And, um, y'all have not 
gotten married yet, right? But uh, it's, it's, it's planned. Did you go back and get the, the formal confession? Yeah. So once we got into, Father really told us what his expectations were for our, our living situation yeah. and to get on track on the formal marriage process and enter into that, it put me in a state where I could then have a valid confession and, and kind of all the circumstances that that would entail yeah. to be in a, in a, in a position where he can do that. And, um, so I had that confession with him. Uh, and then I was able to take Holy communion for the first time in 30 years. And that mm. was such a, an amazing experience, such a powerful experience. Is your fiance Catholic? She is. She was okay. baptized Catholic. Unfortunately, uh, her Catholic formation stopped before she had her Holy Communion in, in confirmation. Okay. So she's maybe, she's on her own path. Yeah. She, she is. Uh, Father gave us Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. It can really Hahn to read. And uh, I devoured that in a couple of days and, and got a lot out yeah. of that. And one of those things was is that even between, look, if the Hans are on, slightly different paths with their faith, then mm-hmm. I'm going to, that you know, my girlfriend and yeah. I, and for fiance and I are going to be on slightly different paths too. And I have to have the patience and grace to understand that that's the, probably the way it's going to be for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unrealistic to think that you're going to be in the exact same place at the exact same time. Right. Right. Uh, well, praise God. So, so here you are, you're fired up for the faith and uh, you're going to get married. I mean, everything has changed in two months, hasn't it? I mean, and and I know I asked you I, I, uh, about I, about this, you know, catastrophic illness that you had. You consider it uh, a blessing, even though it was horrendously painful for four days. God, God blessed you with that, didn't He? It was it was a tremendous good fortune, a tremendous good fortune. I will tell you, you know, in that prayer. I believe the grace was, you know, had where I was able to walk out of the hospital under my own power with no wheelchair two two and a half days, three and a half days, two and a half days after that surgery. And the typical hospital stay is seven to 10 days. And so it's, it's just an absolutely miraculous recovery. Mm-hmm. The team that was taking care of me was just completely shocked on a, on a Saturday, they walk in and I've showered and shaved and put street clothes on and I'm sitting in the lounger that's designed for the guests and I'm working on my fitness brand and the hospitalist walked in and looks at the the hospital bed and Amanda was passed out in it. She was so tired. And I think he thought he was in the wrong room. He's like, there's a a woman in that bed that's got long blonde hair. Yeah. So uh, you probably, all your friends probably are still calling you up and saying, Hey, let's go party. I mean, did you have to cut off some friends or make new ones or, what about your social life now? I would say that when I got into my 40s, all that kind of stuff really slowed down. Um, my career is really at a kind of a, a zenith at this point where I've got a focus. We uh, took a company public in 2021. And so, you know, I've matured a good deal where, you know, if you want to catch me for dinner and a cocktail, I do it between 5 and 6 p.m. You're not going to mm-hmm. catch me out at 10 p.m. Or, or midnight. And so mm-hmm. that slowed down dramatically. But there was really no, there was no, you know, attendance of mass or confession or, or any real prayer life except when things were going really wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and by the way, uh, the, I'm, I'm interviewing James Miller, and uh, he is from St. Bernard's Parish, and this is the interview of the week, and it's a, a story about God, you know, 
reaching a person and sometimes it, it takes something pretty dramatic in some people's lives. And um, uh, James, you mentioned about the abortion and obviously the abortion still is in the past, but how, how does this kind of transformation and a renewal of spiritual life, receiving the Eucharist, how does that change that? Or you and I talked about Project Joseph or uh, how, how does, uh, what, what is the different maybe perspective on that now? Well, the, the transformation for the, the person is that you unburden yourself from this tremendous sin that you're carrying around. In fact, I have this physical sense of being exhausted and I'm, I'm six weeks, seven, eight weeks post-op. So I'm not, I'm not really still recovering from the surgery. I believe these are the temporal consequences of carrying that sin for, for decades. I, I just feel exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this great sense of inner peace that would I could never achieve through drugs or alcohol or meditation or yoga or any of these kind of occult practices uh, that unfortunately I found myself involved in from time to time. And, um, you know, the first step was going back to the church and that confession. Mm-hmm. And there, there's always a path back. There's always a path back. And I, I look back now after reading some of the things that Father Mike Schmitz has written and others, that the devil whispers in your ear and says, there's no path back. Yeah. You're, you know, you're done. There's, there, there's no way that there's forgiveness for you. This is yeah. way too bad. And I believe that was very active in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, well, how did your family react? Your siblings and your parents? Uh, I don't know if your parents are still alive or what, but uh, what did they say? My parents have been praying for this for decades, Mm -hmm. so they are thrilled to get this news. And it's actually brought us closer together because we have the most important thing in life in common now. So they're they're still practicing the faith. Oh, yes, absolutely. Live down in Kerrville, Texas, are retired and, you know, uh, very active Catholic you know, lifestyle and, and yeah. way of being. Yeah. Kind of like the St. Augustine story. I mean, of, uh, you know, somebody really in a bad path. And then all of a sudden, like in a, in a moment, just the, the light goes on, lots of prayers from the parents as well. Um, you, you mentioned that Olivia gave you some advice. I don't know if that's something that you're able to tell us. I, Olivia is a very wise woman and she's helped so many people. Is there anything that you're able to reveal to us that Olivia told you? Sure. So she asked about our engagement and, and um, she was adamant about us really making a, a, a good faith attempt at abstinence between now and, you know, when we're married yeah. in the church. And um, I had kind of committed to the lesser path of, of confession right before and then, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, all I needed was just a push in that direction. And um, in praying the rosary, and asking Mother Mary for help, this has been, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but quite easy, really. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazed. great. Yeah. Well, for someone that lived by their disordered passions, at the whim of their disordered passions for decades, I'm absolutely shocked at how this has been little more than just a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, amazing, God's grace. And, uh, you know, there's so so many lessons here. I, I God bless that great priest. Do you say Father Luis over yes. at St. Bernard's? Because you could have run into a bad priest who said, oh, you're being too hard on yourself. You're, you know, you're fine. And 
Uh, but for him to do that and give you the Scott Hon- Kimberly Hawn book and, uh, you know, just tell you you're not ready for confession yet. I mean, that's just classic pastoral approach of a good priest. And so God bless him. And also Olivia as well. And so it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. And so th- thank you so much for coming and, and sharing with us. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I, there, there is a certain sense of, of me about like, well, gosh, it's so new. You know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, yeah, you're in the honeymoon period right now, but a lot of the, the prayer, and I ask our listeners to pray for perseverance, you know, pray for, for, for full fortitude. Uh, because yeah, with God's grace, this can just keep getting better and better and better. And so, uh, awesome. Anything else you'd like to uh, say to our listeners about your story or did we cover it pretty well? No, the last thing I would say is, is that there's, you just got to go back to confession. That's where it starts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, thanks again, Olivia. I know she listens to these stories. She always likes to hear, uh, you know, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Uh, and again, my guest is James Miller. Pray for him. Pray for his upcoming wedding. Pray for his uh, chastity and um, and pray for our priests because uh, good priests uh, are like Father Louis helped to guide souls back into uh, the fold and into the church so praise God for that uh, James thanks again and uh, it's good also to meet uh, Amanda your uh, your fiance and I know she didn't she's she's sitting out there in the the green room <laughs> she is yeah so good to meet her as well thanks to Cecil Anderson for running the board and you know uh, people like Olivia give me a lot of great uh, suggestions for interviews. It makes my job easier because I don't have to go running around trying to find all my interviews. So if you know of a great story or a great apostolate or somebody that's helping to build up the body of Christ uh, in any way, uh, let me know. Email me, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Hope Restored Healing the Wounds of Abortion is a two-day ecumenical conference for mental health professionals, clergy, and adults on September 13 and 14 at St. Paul Parish Center in Richardson. Feature speakers Kevin Burke, Sister Patricia Marie, and Dr. Ingrid Scott will discuss topics like the effects of abortion on women and men, what has happened since the Dobb decision, and the mental health effects of chemical versus surgical abortion. Go to prolifedallas.org forward slash conference for more information or to register. For this for decades, are th- mm. so they to get this new diseases and injuries actually brought us news, and it's actually sweet one closer together. Most important, Dorado Parkway, because we have the middle life in thing in all, which so is in common now. Faith, if oh, still practicing the faith. absolutely lived. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolute Texas are down in Curved and retire. Uh, you know, give Catholic very active lifestyle you know, way of being well and, and yeah. kind of like the same yeah. story. Uh, Augusta, you know, so I mean, of bad pa- Hi, everybody. Welcome to the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I am Dave Palmer. We are broadcasting from our brand new studios here in Las Colinas. I don't know how long I'll be able to say that. We've been here about five or six weeks now, and it is really nice, and we've got a great view. And if you are listening, you ever want to just come by and get a tour of the place, uh, you're very welcome to do so. And, you know, I often close out these interviews by saying, hey, if you got any... Uh, folks that you know who would be a good interview topic, uh, reach out to me and I give my email address and all that. Well, my dear friend Mary Creason did just that because uh, Mary is from St. Anne's Parish in Capel and uh, very active in the local Catholic community. And she uh, texted me recently and said, you should interview Lisa Phillip. 
Okay. And gave me a little bit of information, uh, connected me with Lisa on email, and I said, uh, sure, why not? And so I emailed Lisa, and she is in studio with me right now. And uh, Lisa and I have gotten to know each other a little bit, uh, a little pre-interview, but I, what I know is that um, she has a blog called Holy Fire Peru. Uh, she's from Chicago, and she recently moved down to Texas and is involved at St. Anne Parish in Capel with an organization called Encounter Ministries. And she also has a fascinating background in history, and she used to work for the Archdiocese of Chicago. And so we're going to get to know Lisa and also let you know about uh, Encounter and what's going on at St. Anne's. In fact, they have something going on here in just a couple of days, beginning on August 21st through the 24th. And so you want to know about that. And also a school starting on Monday evenings, uh, beginning September 11th. Okay, so that's all the background information. Uh, Lisa, thank you for coming. Good to see you. It's really good to be here. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, you're, you're one of those, you know, I, I, I love meeting people like you because you seem to just be alive in the spirit and excited about being Catholic. You're living by divine providence and you're trusting in God for the next step. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing Um, just a little bit about who you are, if you would. Sure. So I think a lot of people think that I've been living this Catholic faith the way I do my whole life, and that's not true. I was raised Catholic. I was baptized as a baby, made my first communion, did not make my confirmation until later on, but got married in the Catholic Church. But I'm really what you would consider a priester. Mm -hmm. Went on Christmas and Easter, or funerals, weddings, things like that. And then I got married, and my marriage fell apart. Um, my ex-husband was involved in an adulterous relationship. And at that point in time, by the grace of God, I found myself in confession for the first time mm. since I was about nine years old. And I just recognized that I needed God, that my life was imploding. I was so broken and I needed God. And I just literally threw myself at the cross. And when all else is gone and you, you realize he's all you need. Mm-hmm. And so really my story kind of started from there. I started going back to mass every week. That year um, I went through RCIA, I made my confirmation. And right after I made my confirmation, my ex-husband and I uh, separated. And then I'd lost my job. After 12 years, I got laid off. Um, he wasn't paying our bills, so our home foreclosed. I was left with all kinds of debt. There was just a lot of things that were going on. And I found myself on a mission trip. To Peru. And this was 2007. 2007. Yeah. And um, I, I still never forget on the sheet that we were handled, it said, come with a spirit of discipleship. And I'm going to be honest with you, Dave, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> but I went anyway, and I went with an open heart. And I remember when I first got there, I'll never forget. I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? I can't go home. Like mm-hmm. I am here, but I made the best of it. And that entire trip, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. Mm. And I was ruined for normal life. That wrecked me for normal life at that point in time. So when I came home, I had no language to put around what had happened to me, but I knew that I was different. And so from that point on, I was just, I was curious. I was hungry. That next year, I found myself on that trip again. And at that point in time, I said, okay, Jesus, I know who you are now. I'll get out of the boat and I'll go anywhere. And I, here I am. I went back on that trip uh, five more times, and then I started going alone and stepping out by myself, and it's been an amazing journey. So, uh, yeah, it is. that's an amazing story, but I, I've got to 
dig a little deeper because, you know, you're on this trip and they're saying have a spirit of discipleship. Yeah. And you didn't know what it mean. And you, you know, you felt kind of odd there. And then you jump to this radical encounter with Jesus. You yeah. got to tell us more about that. I mean, was it a vision? Was it, well, I mean, what, what exactly happened? No, I wouldn't say like that can happen, right? On this trip, it wasn't any one moment. It was a accumulation of many moments. So it was seeing Christ in the poor. It was seeing Christ in the pastor at the parish that we were staying at, just a very holy, charismatic, full of the spirit man. It was seeing Jesus and other missionaries that I'd missioned with. There was a healing mass where for the first time I had saw the Eucharist processed around. And um, at that healing mass, somebody had laid hands on me for the first time. And it wasn't like I had experienced anything, but there was 2,000 people there. Mm-hmm. And I got chosen. Yeah. And I was extremely touched by that moment. So it was really God's grace. Oh, it yeah. wasn't anything that you were like, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have this encounter with Jesus. No. It just happened. No, yeah. Right? And everything changed. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I interviewed a gentleman uh, last week who had an experience like that, but it was like a month and a half ago. And I'm thinking, okay, that's great, but it's still really fresh, you yeah. know. And I, I, I pray for fortitude. I pray that, but, but for you, this is this, you know, you haven't stopped. I mean, this is this relationship with Christ has been going on for years now. Oh yeah, I think, it, and it made me hungrier, right? So as I got to know Jesus, then my life really changed when I came in relationship with the Holy Spirit, and you know, and just growing in the fact that God still speaks to his people and he wants to use us and he, we, you know, we can do the things that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And so I just got so hungry. It was like this thirst inside of me that could not be fulfilled. So I would go to like conferences and retreats and different things. I went back um, to school to get a lay leadership certificate through the Archdiocese of Chicago. Then when I finished that, I went and got a master's four-year degree at St. Mary of the Lake. And then it was after that that I graduated when I felt like the Lord was saying, go back to Peru and just spend the summer down there and mm-hmm. just do whatever I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Tell us the, the, the people there. You know, you often hear people, it's almost a cliche saying, I got, you know, I went there to help them, but I got yeah. more out of them than they got of me, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Did they minister to you through their poverty? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, you know, I think to do that kind of work, you have to fall in love with the people, mm-hmm. fall in love with God's people, right? Fall in love with with the poor. And oftentimes, like not when I was going with the group, but when I started going out by myself, I was often asked, you know, Lisa, will you come to our home and pray? And I would say, sure. My only rule was, you know, you have to pick me up and drop me off because there's no street signs. I don't know my way around. And believe it or not, I am not fluent in Spanish. Mm -hmm. I get by by the grace of God. (laughs) So people would pick me up and they would feed me. And I would go to a home. I'd get picked up at like maybe four or five o'clock at night. And I would be there all night praying with the family. They would bring like six people there and I would have dinner and they'd bring me home at like 10 o'clock. The, you mentioned about the failed marriage Mm -hmm. and obviously that's a, that's a bad thing. We always want marriages to, to last, but do you think that uh, out of that hardship, out of that tragedy and out of that, uh, you know, the broken heartedness and everything that happened to it, uh, God opened a door through, through that. I mean, would you have been on this mission trip had it not, had that not happened in your life? No, hundred percent. I mean, I think God found me or I found God in my sheer poverty of there's nothing left, right? So I'm going to look up. Um, I would never have been on that trip without that. And so I totally believe like, 
the Lord can bring goodness out of anything. He allowed it to happen, obviously, right? And that all collapsed because of sin, right? It was an adulterous relationship my my ex was having. I clearly was deeply hurt and traumatized by that. But God has healed me of that. And I've ministered to so many others through that knowing that place of pain, as well as the goodness and the fruit that the Lord has brought out of that through my cooperation with his grace. It's been, it's a miracle in itself. Yeah. My guest is Lisa Phillip and she has a blog called Holy Fire Peru. She also is involved with Encounter Ministries at St. Anne Parish in Capel. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Holy Fire Peru. This is a blog. And what, what kind of things do you write about? Well, it's interesting. So it was after my first encounter conference, which was about five or six years ago, I went to this conference and I just, I had a really powerful encounter with God after that. And I knew that I was going to Peru that summer and I was meeting with my spiritual director and I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart to start a blog. And I was like, I think God wants me to start this blog and I'll never forget my spiritual director's like, well, I'll read it. (laughs) You got one reader. And then I was like, oh boy, now I'm gonna Mm. have to do it. And I knew that that was kind of a scary place for me to go because that's so public and the way I write is very personal. Mm -hmm. So you're putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way where people are gonna judge, criticize, talk about you, whatever. And initially I just thought this blog was gonna be like, I woke up today and I went and did this. Mm -hmm. And it became stories where I encountered God and then somebody reading my story can encounter God through my experience. And it just blew up. I was not expecting it to get like as big as it did. So as far as viewership and people yeah, reading it, how, like, how, you're able to track that? Yeah, so people from like 18 different countries follow it. And um, I don't remember like how many viewers, right? But different people like subscribe to it at different times. Obviously a lot of people from Peru turn it into Spanish and, and read it. But yeah, I just started blogging it through WordPress and then other people would f- see that that blog was like gaining a lot of traction. So then they would read it and it just grew from mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Can you give us a specific example of something that you've written in the last uh, few months or is uh, a story that comes to mind or your last blog or, or what, what kind of thing? You're talking about encounters yeah. with God. And these are people that... Uh, you meet and or it's a personal encounter or what what kind of can you give an example? So I think the last story that I, or last big story that I wrote was about when I was in Peru, I was ministering to a lot of Venezuelans. So a lot of Americans don't still realize that Venezuela is still not in a good place and it's, you know, completely collapsed. And I don't remember exactly, but I think like close to like seven or 800,000 Venezuelans have now come over through the Peruvian border. And so when I would walk the streets, I would see people everywhere. And I would I would do like street evangelization. Sometimes I would go to the market and I would buy food and I would give them away food out of my backpack. I would try to talk with them. I would pray with them. And their stories were just um, completely, they're tragic, right? Mm-hmm. But I'd met this group of guys. And at one point in time, I was going back to the same place every day and they were going there. And I realized that they understood some of the same kind of information I understood from the perspective of what is really going on in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We're living in a very kind of crazy, almost like prophetic kind of time. And I had a powerful encounter when I was left them and I was walking back to my room. I was just about to put my key into the door. And I realized that these guys were very much like the Israelites. They basically said, hey, Pharaoh in Venezuela, we're not going to live 
by you shutting off our water, mm-hmm. monitoring our food, telling us we can't work at these places. We're going to go to a new land. Yeah. And they crossed over and this man held, he sent me, he held me, uh, he gave me this book and I was reading this book and it was all in Spanish. But when I flipped to the table of context, it was in English. Mm. Well, I saw English. Yeah. And when I walked back, I realized that that was a grace that the Lord gave me because the whole book was in Spanish. I don't read Spanish. But how did I see that it was in English? So and it was, I was translated able, just for you. Just for me. And this man and I were able to have a conversation. He broke. He spoke some very broken English and we were able to have a conversation. And it was, it was, it blew my mind that mm. day that God still does these things. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lisa Phillip is my guest. This is the interview of the week. And let's transition now to Encounter Ministries at St. Anne's Parish in Capel. One thing I find fascinating about your story is that you picked up and moved here about three months ago and uh, probably didn't have all your ducks in a row, but you, uh, you were asked uh, to come and be involved in Encounter Ministry by, I guess, Brad Hubbard, who's the director mm-hmm. there. And uh, that's part of that trust, isn't it? You just say, like, I feel like God's calling me, so I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so t- tell us about that move and uh, your involvement with Encounter. So while I was in Peru, um, so Brad and I are friends. We became friends. We both did the online Encounter school, and we would regularly stay in contact. And while I was in Peru, he had mentioned to me that he was feeling called to start a school here. And I'll never forget, I remember thinking, that's great, Brad. You're going to be a director. I'm going to pray for you. I don't feel mm. like being a director. And I just went about, you know, doing work in Peru. And then he called back and said, Lisa, I would like you to come and be a part of my team. I feel like God wants you to be on our team. And I said, well, that's a really big move for me. Like I've lived my entire life in the Chicagoland area, just north of Chicago. I've never lived away from my family outside of Peru. And so he was very patient and very kind and really had trust in the Lord. And I prayed through it while I was in my my trip to Peru. And then, you know, you can discern yourself into a place of paralysis. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself a date. And then um, last October, I called him after I told my mom first, she was the first person I told and said, Brad, I'll come enjoy your team, but I'm not going to move after the holiday Mm -hmm. because I want to share my last holiday with my family. Yeah, And so then I moved here about three months ago um, at the beginning of May. And you told me that uh, Texas is very different uh, from Illinois. And uh, how, how so? And uh, what, what, what is the cultural uh, adjustment been? Well, for one, it's very hot, right? <laughs> yeah, you noticed. Yes. People this is ask, even hotter than usual. Though. Yeah. People yeah. ask me how I'm doing with the heat. I say I drink water like I'm camel in a desert. <laughs> um, but Peru is very hot, too. So I got used to it there. But uh, people are very, very kind here. Very hospitable, very kind, very outgoing. Um, the faith here is much more vibrant and alive than I would say in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I go to, and I've been to multiple different parishes here to kind of like check out the atmosphere, all the, the churches and the parishes I go to are full. Mm-hmm. That's that's not happening in Chicago. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They're, you know, building new, new parishes mm-hmm. and new schools. And uh, yeah, the, and of course, people are moving to this area. You're proof of that. Uh, so awesome. So uh, you're, you're getting adjusted. You're living here. Um, what, what, what is Encounter Ministries? So Encounter Ministries was started by um, a priest named Father Matthias and Patrick Rice. And their whole goal is to teach, equip, and activate people in the things that Jesus did to go out into the world. So if you look at our parishes today, and so please hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Ministries are great, right? We've got our Bible studies and our women's group and our men's group and all these different things. But oftentimes people find a home 
or safety inside of that. And they don't know how to go across the street and talk to their neighbor Mm -hmm. or talk to the woman in the grocery store or pray with a family member. Encounter teaches you how to do those things, grow in your intimacy with your relationship with God, grow in your identity so that you know the authority that you've received so that you can do the works of Jesus, so that you could pray for healing and see healing because Jesus still does heal today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a outgoing type of ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, one thing we live in a cul-de-sac and um, when my wife and I moved in, we made a point of just, we're going to meet our neighbors. A lot of people don't even know their neighbors. You know, they, they they know people across the world on online, but this is a person to person. I, I, I'm guessing primarily face to face, not, you know, social media type of thing uh, and uh, spreading the gospel. So what is the methodology of, you know, letting people know about Christ and how he has changed your life. So I would say encounters really for anybody who's looking for the more. If you're hungry for just more of God, more of the Holy Spirit, you want to see how the Lord works supernaturally, that's definitely for you. And so it's set up like a classroom setting. Um, You come in, there's typically some time of worship And then each night there's two talks and the curriculum is all based on a solid Catholic teaching. So the teaching of the church, the tradition, biblical, the church fathers, the curriculum has been reviewed. So there's two talks. And then typically there's some kind of like activation, which encourages people either that night, right, to pray with a a particular another student or go out like that next week before they come back to class. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it might just be, hey, read this piece of scripture and meditate on it and listen to what the Lord's saying. Or it might be, is the Lord speaking to you prophetically to give a word to somebody? And so as you venture on in the class, all the activations are different Mm -hmm. pertaining to that particular curriculum in that class. Yeah. And this is uh, a national or international, Mm -hmm. how is it in most dioceses or is it anywhere else in the Dallas diocese or how, how, where, where, where can encounter, you know, events be found? Yeah. So, um, encounter is growing rapidly. I mean, it's had like explosive growth even since just my first, um, conference. So I just recently heard it's in four languages now, which I think is English, Spanish, I think German, and I don't know the other language, but it's in several countries and there's over, um, 30 different campuses. So there's a campus in like uh, Wichita, Kansas, um, Portland, um, Atlanta, out on the East Coast, all throughout the United States. Um, these campuses are running out of various parishes. All right. So Brad Halbert is the director, but he also works full time at St. Anne's. Yes, right? So this isn't correct. his whole thing. And then you've got uh, instructors like yourself, mm-hmm. my uh, Curtis Wales, who I've known for many uh, years as an instructor. So what, what, uh, this is the 19th of August, Saturday, and I guess Monday the 21st, um, the, the, the summer program, intensive program begins, or well, what exactly will happen on Monday? So we're running what's called a summer intensive, and it's really a, a snippet, a shortened version to give folks a taste who are considering the school, who are thinking, I'm hungry for the more, but is this the right time for me? Is this school for me? Do I want to commit to this? So you would come for the summer intensive, either all four nights, or we have an option where you could just come for one night. And what time is it? It's from, I think the time starts at like 5 or 5.30 okay, each night. And okay. it'll start with worship. And the, each night will be modeled just after like a night of the school. 
All right. And so that's uh, coming up this week. And then what about, is that preparing people for the Monday night session since the beginning September 11th? Is that what it is? Is that you go this coming week and you find out if the September Monday night series is for you? Is that is that the right way of putting it? You could do that, but you don't have to do that. I mean, we already have over 60 people signed up for the school. Okay. So if somebody's on the fence and thinking, I want to do the school, but I'm really not sure, come to one of the nights of the intensive or come to all four nights and see if this is for you. And if something gets stirred in you where you say, yes, Lord, this is where you're calling me. I want to sign up for the school. Is there a cost? There is a cost. It's $100 for all four nights. But if you're going to sign up for the school, it's discounted and it's only $50. Okay. And when the Monday nights begin in September, those are every Monday night for, is it two years? Or? It's a two-year program. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it'll always be on Monday nights. And you what you could do is you could just sign up for the first quarter, which is on identity and transformation, which is a really powerful corner, uh, quarter. Most of my friends have had a very transformative experience through that first quarter. And you could decide, do I want to stay in this for the rest of the two years or not? One thing to know is all the quarters um, need to be taken um, se- sequentially, right? So you can't take the first quarter and then say, I want to take two quarters off. And then I'm going to take the fourth quarter. Okay. You're going to have to start back. And what, two years from now, you'll start it again? Is or that or right? you would go to another campus okay. or do it online, okay. right? Because they build on one another. Yeah, it's funny. In, in preparing for this and what Mary had told me about you, she talked about healing ministry. And mm-hmm. we haven't even really talked about healing ministry yet. And I thought that was going to be the whole focus of what I'm talking about. But, you know, I, I'm really happy that we've talked about what we have. Is this a healing ministry per se? They don't consider themselves a healing ministry. They consider themselves a teaching ministry. Encounter considers themselves a teaching ministry. Although healing's a component of the teaching that we do, and certainly people can then go out and heal through the name of Jesus, right? But they consider themselves a teaching ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you mentioned to me before we started that you have experienced some pretty profound healings in uh, maybe in Peru or here yeah. in the U.S. Uh, tell us about those. Um, what... Um, you know, uh, just any, any any stories that come to mind that you've seen the power of God through, through physical or, or spiritual healing? Yeah, so I've seen so much, honestly. And a lot of times you you remember the stories where people don't get healed, I think, more sometimes than the ones that do get healed. But I have seen um, a woman, a Venezuelan woman, who her glasses were stolen off her face, off the street, while she was sleeping on the street with her family. And this is on my my blog, I believe. Um, and I went to a refugee kind of house where they were being housed, and I prayed with her and her children. And she, her eyesight was restored because oh. I didn't have money to buy her glasses, right? Yeah. And she couldn't see without her glasses. I've seen um, a teenage girl get her ear or hearing restored in her ear. I'd worked at a clinic where a woman came hunched over and bent over with a cane. And I, I watched her leap out of the, the clinic with the cane over her shoulder and skip down the hall. Mm. Um, Most of us, I think, underestimate uh, the power that we have through Jesus to do yeah. these things. Uh, I And uh, gosh, I realize I only have a minute left. And so I'll, 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 I'll skip that story. But um, 
let's uh, talk. How, what do people need to do if they want to sign up? Can do, is there a website or how, how, what should they do? There's a website. If they, um, there's a Facebook page as well as if they just Google Dallas Encounter, they will find um, our Dallas Encounter page. And right on that page, they could either sign up for the school or sign up for the intensive right on there. All right. Dallas Encounter. Sorry, I didn't manage my time very That's well. Okay. I got very <laughs> caught up in what we were talking about. And I realized, ah, I got to go. Uh, I got 30 seconds left. Uh, so my guest has been Lisa Phillip. Uh, her blog is called Holy Fire. Peru, go and search out uh, Encounter Dallas, and you can find out about the uh, the summer intensive program beginning uh, this coming Monday, and also no, 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 the twenty first, the the the, the twenty first, yeah, 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 which is uh, it's, it's Monday because yeah, today is the nineteenth. Oh, you're right, right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> we're, we're we're time, uh, yeah, we're oh, yeah, um, but all right. Well, thank you for being here, and thanks for Manny Ortiz for running the board. Thank you for listening. If you- Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.